Hi, everyone. My name is Alexander Lescott, and you're listening to Real Talk Guidance, a place for hope, for hard truths, and tough love. We are offering the first-generation immigrants guidance and people who need a little push in order to achieve their goals. So today, the topic will be positive thinking for attracting positive outcomes. So I have with me today Dr. Corinne Lescott, my sister, and I'm going to talk to you a little bit about Corinne. So Dr. Corinne Lescott was raised in Haiti, then moved to Montreal, Canada in 2007. She completed her doctorate in chiropractic at the University of Quebec and Trois-Rivières, and uh, she was there from uh, 2011 to 2016. She then moved to Quebec City in 2017, where she took over from Dr. Eve Richard and became the owner of Clinic Chiropractic Richard and started her own practice. Seeking for new adventures during the pandemic period, she began working as an independent consultant at Arbonne, a network marketing business. She's passionate about healthy living and the environment, and she is now an executive district manager at the company. She fell in love with helping others flourish by being good to themselves, the community, and the planet. She recently joined the executive board of a nonprofit organization as its vice president. She wants to help young girls flourish and reach their full potential. She believes that helping future women will contribute to shaping our society. Dr. Corinne Lescott enjoys and continues to get involved with the population by offering free care through a clinic in Montreal to pick up clothes and unexpired food for Akai Bono. She also participated in several humanitarian missions, two in Haiti and one in the Dominican Republic. So I will let Corinne talk a little bit about her life story. Hi, Corinne. Hi, Alexander. I want to start by thanking you for having me here today. I'm honored to be in your podcast. And yes, it's, it's kind of weird to hear all about your life story from someone else. So I'm going to start talking about how, how all of this happened. So I grew up in Haiti and I had a normal, I think, childhood growing up. I went to school in Haiti and I moved to Canada in 2007, like Alexander said, and I did a transition into Montreal. So coming on to Montreal was a huge transition because the culture was different. The language was different. Yes, it was French, but the accent was very different. So I remember being in school and trying to take notes and not understanding. So it took a while to understand. And I was a very competitive person in general in terms of schoolwork because back in Haiti, our parents were very strict about grades. They were always asking the same questions. Do you have good grades? So having good grades was something that was important to me. So when I moved to Canada, this adjustment was kind of difficult because I didn't quite understand the system yet. And I didn't understand the the accent at that moment. But I grew out of it, understood and started doing pretty well in school. And I finished CEGEP, which is the I think it's kind of like the, the end of high school for, for Americans. Anyway, so I finished my CEGEP and did not know what I wanted to do in university. And I know a lot of people don't quite know what they want to do when they get out of school. I know I wanted to work with people, help people, but I didn't, under, I didn't know what I was passionate about. I was so focused on having good grades 
as I was raised to have good grades, but I never really took the time to understand what I wanted. So I applied to different programs and I did a bachelor in psychology at the University of Montreal. I started to be interested in, as a good student, having good grades, interested in the field and thought I wanted to go to neuropsychology, but I always knew deep down inside of me that wasn't something I was passionate about. So I did different internship, worked in different areas of that, and I was really good, but wasn't passionate. So I reevaluate what I wanted to do. And I remember talking a lot of, to my dad about what I should do. And I remember him telling me, you should shadow. You should go ahead and do and watch people do different things. And maybe you're going to have like uh, something that's going to talk to you and tell you that's what you need to do. So I remember my last year of psychology, I spent the entire time writing to different professionals and shadowing. So in different fields like uh, optometry, dentist, and all the things that I thought I was interested in, I shadowed. And to, even when I did that, I still didn't know what I wanted to do. I wasn't sure things I liked, didn't like, I didn't click. But I was really sure of one thing. I was looking for something that I was going to be passionate about. I didn't see myself doing something I wasn't passionate about just to be doing it because I was good at it. So it's okay and it's fine for you to re, uh, rethink about what you want and try to do something that you're passionate about. I think that's very important. So once again, I was talking to my dad and he goes, have you checked chiropractic? And I remember having like a little deck like a little click in my head and say, yeah, but it's like a medical field, right? And he goes, no, it's not a medical field. It's different. And he, and I knew about chiropractic. My uncle is a, it was a very successful chiropractor in Mississippi. My dad seeked chiropractic uh, care, but I never really understood what it was. So he told me about chiropractic and I kind of like was surprised and told myself I was going to try to shadow a chiropractor. I did, and it was an instant uh, love at first sight, I guess. So I knew that was a, that's what I wanted to do. And I put everything out. I didn't want to apply to neuropsychology anymore. I didn't want to do anything. So I applied to the doctorate of, uh, the doctorate of chiropractic in a city where I didn't know anyone. I didn't have any friends. And the culture was going to be completely different. We know how Montreal is multicultural. I was going to go to Trois-Rivières where there was not a lot of Haitians and people that I could relate to in terms of culture at first. But I still did it. I was seeking passion. So I applied to chiropractic and I was accepted and I started my chiropractic journey. Did five years in Trois-Rivières and uh, graduated and was... Uh, was happy to, to finish my studies. And I always wanted to have my own practice. I always wanted to have my own way of doing things because I believed that I have a different way of, of something that I could bring to a community. I remember wanting to go back to Haiti. I remember having these questions and making a plan of going back to Haiti and helping my community and being a pioneer in chiropractic. But sadly, that did not happen. Haiti is a very difficult country, as we know, and things were not going that way. And I met someone and I decided to move to Quebec City, take over a practice of a chiropractor, a successful chiropractor named Yves Richard, who became a mentor. And now today it's been three years. I'm an owner and I love it. And it's just amazing. That's pretty much 
where I'm at right now. This is uh, absolutely uh, crazy that the, the whole story where you came from Haiti and then you moved to Montreal, adapt, understood the, the school system, um, and then performed all the way to having your doctorate in chiropractic. Uh, I have a quick question. I know that getting into medical fields are really competitive and they have interviews and it's really hard getting there. Even if you have the grades, they want to see you and question you and try to see if you fit. I want to know how did you get to pass that interview? Just a quick overview of what mental state did you have? How, how did you see yourself being as positive as you can in order to show your, 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 your worth? I know that Toilivia, like you said, different culture, uh, not many Haitians there, not many uh, cultural differences uh, as per uh, more uh, Quebecer, French uh, Canadians there. How did you get to that interview and made your mark and actually uh, pass that interview? Very good question. And I have, I don't really talk about it often to many people about how I believe how I made it and how I think. I did the exact same things that everyone would do. I contacted people that, uh, if they knew people that went to chiropractic school, that did an interview, if they could give me feedback on interviews. I did the normal things. I thought that I was a good student. I had good grades and I went to shadow a chiropractor. So I knew about chiropractic. I had all the basics. But I think the one thing that really did the difference and it's maybe controversial, and people might have different ideas. I really, really worked on trying to ease the communication by changing my accent and making speaking really easy with the people that I was going to be doing interview. I learned that, and I'm going to try to explain myself better. I learned that early in, in CIGEP. I remember doing an oral presentation and I was doing it with my Haitian accent, like coming to Canada and just speaking the French that I knew. So I remember at that moment, the teachers would be like, could you please repeat this? And then I repeated it in the beginning of my presentation at a presentation that I did, that I know that I had prepared for, that I was really, really, really prepared for it. And I remember them not asking much, much questions after in terms of repeating. So I just went on. And I remember seeing this other girl come up and do her presentation. And she was sort of a competition at that time. I see she had good grades and I wanted to, you know, match up to her good grades And she did her presentation and I remember telling myself, oh my God, I killed it. Her presentation was not as good as mine. And when the grades happened, we had this huge gap of difference. And I was like, I don't understand. So I started asking myself, how did you get that good of a grade? And I know I did a really good job. I mean, Nicole can be subjective or whatever, but I remember telling myself, they probably did not understand. It wasn't fluent for them enough to understand what I was trying to share. So I don't know, I had that click, that, that click in the moment and told myself, maybe it's if I do the effort, I know they're not going to do the effort and on their side. If I do the effort of trying to speak and relate to them, speak more like them, they would understand me. So from that moment on, I was a person that tried. So I'm not saying that you should switch and try to be like them, but I'm saying in terms of easing a conversation, communication, I think, I guess I would do it in English, I would do it in Spanish, whatever language I would get in, just to make it easy so that my real personality, myself can be seen by them and can be fluent to their ears to ease the conversation. So that's one of the things that I worked on and I still do it and I still do it in my practice in Canada right now. And 
Quebec City right now. So I tried to, so the accent was something I did. But super important, trying to do an accent and trying to talk like the people doesn't mean that you have to be them. You can keep your culture, keep who you are, be proud of where you're from, proud of who you are, even if you do that switch. I think I have it easy. I'm able to, when I speak to my people, my parents or my brothers or whoever, I can switch it to my Haitian accent. But when I'm in this environment where I know I'm trying to communicate something and I want them to understand me 100%, I switch it and I do the accent where they fully understand. So I think this was one of the skills. When I got there and I sat down in front of the interview, I didn't feel that they did not understand what I was trying to, to tell them because my accent was just easy for them to understand, I guess. Yeah, so that's, I totally agree. And, and that's what I did. And I think that's one of the key uh, component of my success in Quebec City and, or in Quebec in general. And, and I can add something where, from, from what I'm seeing from, the, from that story that you're telling us is, and we talked about this just before the interview, we come from a different country, different culture, and other immigrants could say the same, where you have a mother tongue. We know we speak Creole, we speak French as a second language, we have our own island accent. And I do understand that when you come to a new country and you're trying to excel at a certain degree, you are in a new home that is not your own at first, you are integrating in that new home. And if you want to excel at the highest level, I think that a tool that you have would be trying to speak the same way they do, Try, like you said, just to ease the, the issue of communication. And I think that's an excellent point that you're making that you don't need to lose yourself or your identity by speaking with the accent because at the end of the day, it's a tool. If it makes you succeed, it makes you get success. It makes you get the job done, get the, the like you're in competition with other people. And then they see that that guy, he's doing an effort to be like me. I like him because in every relationship, interviews, business, um, like uh, meetings and everything, people want to buy you, your personality. So when they see that you do that effort, you actually speak with your own accent but closer to them because you will never be a hundred percent like them but they appreciate the effort and then you become an even plane with them where they can actually understand exactly like you said like you could actually show them the true you because they're not trying to catch your words and be like i don't get what he's saying so you actually just by doing that interview they saw that you could fit in the group you could fit in that new family that you came in and then they liked because it's weird to say, but they actually, I think that's, it's a big part where they said, you have something to bring to the table. You are different. You're from Haiti. You're intelligent. You know how to present yourself. You're funny. And you speak and you communicate well. So there's no issues. We will understand you. You will understand us. And they said, welcome to the team. That's awesome. I like that story. So um, I have a, a few questions that I want to ask you, especially with your morning routine. I know it's a crazy routine. I want people to understand the dedication that you have, and we'll dive a little bit into how big of a schedule you have. But I want to start by 
telling us, uh, please, your morning routine. So my morning routine, I have to say that it's been almost two, two years now that I've been doing it. And it's a lot of structure. It's a lot of dedication. But I read this book almost two years ago, written uh, by Errol Hall. It's called The Miracle Morning. And I have to tell you, since then, I've read it three times. I read it all the time to keep me up in my routine. And it's a key component to my success. I strongly, strongly believe that I am who I am today because I get to do these things. So The Miracle Morning is a book that tells you about the different structures that you can do early in the morning, what you can accomplish in the morning before you start your day. So what you do in the morning is going to give you a push on your day and then you're going to start your day in a good, like, in a good note. So it's simple steps. It's one, two, three, four, five, six steps. It's called the savers. So I start with silence. So I do a little bit of meditation. So that's one of the things I had to learn how to do. I read books about it. And the meditation that I master right now, it's called the pulse meditation. So I take the time to do that in the morning. It's the first thing I do. After that, I do affirmations. It's something I didn't do before. And I have to tell you, it gives you a whole perspective of your, on your day and the things that you have around you. So you have your more grateful, I guess. You, you're positive, you're grateful for your day in general. So I do the affirmations. Then after that, I do the visualization. So all the things that I want in life, all the things that I want for my practice, all the ones, things that I want for my family, all the things that I wish for, I just put it in my visualization. So I do it. After that, I exercise. So that part of exercises, I'm going to come back to it. But yeah, I do exercise. I read and then after that, I, we call it scribing and the miracle morning. So I write in my journal. So I write things that I'm the, write about my day, what I want. And I just, you know, like a normal journal. So I do that. It, took, it takes around an hour and I do it every, every, every morning. With time, my miracle morning has changed and it's more, it's adapted to my lifestyle and what I do right now. So I still keep the first ones, which is silence, affirmation, and visualizations, because I feel that without these things, you've, you can't start your day on a positive note. It just forces you to start your day positive. So it's just amazing. Everything, the, the clinic flows, when I talk to, when I do my other things, everything is just clear and nice because you just start with a positive note. Exercising, I have been moving that around depending because it's something I'm already doing. So something that's already in my lifestyle. So that sometimes I move it around to give a little bit more time in my scribing because now that I have different things going on, I have my business, I have the network marketing and I have the nonprofit organization. So that's when I take the time to evaluate each of these things. So if I have to do something for the, the organization, I take that 15 minutes I would have put in my workout and then I focus on that specifically. So I just reevaluate and my reading now that I listen to podcasts all the time, when I'm in my car, I read books, audio books. So I sometimes I skip that reading that I would do normally in my morning routine and I would put it in my scribing. So what I've changed a lot is a lot in my scribing, which is my writing. It's more of a 30 to 45 minutes time where I can really talk and do things that I need to do in my to, to evaluate what I need to do for my different types of businesses. So yeah, that's pretty much my routine every morning. And I've been good at it for almost two years now. Excellent. And just for people to understand, what time do you wake up every morning? 
6 a.m. But I start my routine at 6, but I wake up at 5.30. So I take the time to wake up. And sometimes I go run outside when it's beautiful outside. I do, like, not a marathon runner, just a quick run. Or sometimes I do exercises before that just to wake my, myself up. But, yeah, 5.30 yeah. and no, 6, no, my that, routine starts. That's, that's the, the, the motivation and the dedication because 5.30 every morning for two years. I mean, I had fed back. I had, is, it hasn't been fully sometimes on weekends. If I go away and do things like that, I skip it and I automatically feel it. But yeah, I've been really good doing my weeks and trying to have like a really strict structure. Yes. And that shows dedication because I know that many people prefer to sleep a little bit more. Uh, but what you're telling us, it's, it's really beneficial to actually have that routine. And even before doing anything in your day, you're actually being productive prior to starting your day. So uh, the, that's awesome. And it's something that we need to uh, maybe uh, accommodate in our schedule. And what would you say to people that tell you that they don't have time? Because I know that you meet a lot of people, especially in your network marketing, and I've done network marketing myself. And one of the biggest things that we, we see that People tell you, I get what you're saying. I understand your business. It makes sense. I want to do it, but I do not have time. And before you answer, I, I want to just make people understand that you have your own clinic, your own practice. You have your um, nonprofit. You have your Arbonne uh, network marketing business. You actually uh, are a part of the uh, Breakfast for Networking, uh, GR International, where you meet uh, self-employed uh, and uh, business owners to uh, actually network. Uh, you actually do dance classes where you did it so good that now you're a teacher at your dance uh, uh, group there. Um, you have time to go every year uh, multiple times to vacations around the world. Uh, you keep contacts with your friends, family. Um, you are now newly married and uh, right in the middle of the pandemic. And I'm sure there's many things that I forgot. I just want people to understand how do you do it? And when people tell you they don't have time because they actually have like a job and that's i understand and it's understandable i lived through that at some point but i just want you to explain how to create time because you don't have time thrown at you you won't find time under the table under the bed you create time i want you to explain how do you get that much time so good question so uh, i was the type of person that told myself to i didn't have time a lot and I now today understand that it's the biggest excuse that someone has. We all have the same 24 hours on the same day. We all have the same things. I think the major uh, difference is that is how you organize your day. It's the structure you're going to put doing your day. So I'm a person that has, I write it down. I'm more of a paper, uh, a pencil and paper type of person where I write things down. I have an agenda where I put all the things that I need to do and all the things that I have to do so I don't get lost and I don't waste my time doing things that I'm not supposed to be doing, like, I don't know, watching shows all over uh, all day or things like that. So, yes, in my network marketing business, a lot of people tell me, oh, yeah, I don't have time. It's 
a great opportunity, but I don't have that time. So I always have that question. And the first thing that I do is refer to a book. I strongly believe that the best way to understand how to make time is to read a book. So the Miracle Morning that I just spoke about is one of the referrals that I give to people because it helps you start to understand how you can structure your day. So that's one of the things. And the more you take in, for my perspective and my experience, the more you take in the things, the more you have things, the more productive you become. I don't know if that makes sense, but the more I'm taking in, the more things going on, the more structured I am and the more I want to take more, like the the more I want to take in other things. So I feel like productivity comes with how much you're doing things. So when I wasn't doing much, I didn't feel I have a lot of times. And now that I'm doing a lot, I feel like I have more time and more time and I can take on more things. So I'm like this in my practice too. As a chiropractor, when my, when my schedule is completely booked, my brain is on fire. I feel productive and I feel like I can be the best doctor I can be. But when I have one patient, then I have a 20 minutes hole and then I have another patient and another 20 minutes. I feel slower, less productive, and it's less fun. So I guess it's just you have to take the, the, the chance to, to hop into this new opportunity and give yourself a lot of structure and it just kind of come and you're going to see that you're going to have the time in the world in front of you. Absolutely. And I, I've, I live that in my own life where I realized that the more things you have to do, the more things you are handling in your life, the more efficient you get because efficiency is doing more with less and time. Like you said, everyone has 24 hours. So the more things you do in that 24 hours, the more efficient you be, you become at doing one thing uh, after the other. So instead of taking the whole day to do one thing, you do 10, 10 things. You know what I mean? Like, so mm-hmm. the efficiency Definitely. that you get from doing many things makes you become more confident in yourself and your abilities. And that's what I've realized. And sometimes it, it, it is overwhelming. Sometimes you need a little break. Sometimes you need meditation like you do. A mental health is really important at that point. But juggling many things shows you your capability and your ability. Because I have a friend, uh, a coworker that told me, if you have a week to do something, you'll take the whole week to do it. But if you have an hour, you'll take that full hour to do it. So at the end, the difference in production and products could be really slightly different from the person that had a week to do a product and then you had an hour. It could be slightly different. Like it's surprising how we, prof- we, we, produ- we produce more and better when we are time crunched. So it's actually giving yourself um, that, that actual uh, 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 limit where you say, okay, I have 24 hours. I told myself I was going to do this and this and that. And I don't procrastinate. And that's another thing. Procrastination is something that you have to get rid of because every time you procrastinate, you push something to your schedule for the next day. And then you over, like, it's crazy because it's like you're making yourself not do things because it becomes too big, too overwhelming, and you don't do it. Instead of that, just do everything you have to do today. So instead of saying, what I have to do today, uh, I'll, I have time, I'll do it tomorrow. You tell yourself, no, I'll do 
everything I can today until I am tired and go to sleep. So tomorrow I have zero things to do. And every time you say I have zero things to do, there's things to do tomorrow. (laughs) So it's a, a different vibe where you do the most you can today. So tomorrow is less, but there's always more tomorrow. So that's how you become more efficient. And that's how you are not overwhelmed by what you need to do. And um, this is awesome. And, and I think that your routine, Corinne, is, is, is crazy because that's how you get so much things uh, done, so much done. Definitely. And a schedule. Without a schedule, it's, without like having things written down as an, an, an agenda, you get lost and then you don't know what you're doing, what you did. So there's a lot of structure too in terms of like agenda. So if you had... If you have um, a, a few guidance that you want to give to the audience where um, someone would like to be a business owner, someone would like to have their own practice, um, what is the skills that they need to have? What is the skills that they need to work on? Because everyone has skills, but what is the ones that, what, what do you think are the ones that they need to, to work on to actually be good uh, business owners and good entrepreneurs? So what I've learned is that you have to be a good listener, you have to be patient, and you have to trust your process. So I remember when I bought my practice, and you're young, and you're full of ideas, and you want to take over the world, because you're just fresh out of school, and you think you can do whatever. But I remember slowing down and when I got that practice, the chiropractor that was there had a certain structure, something that was already working. And if I wasn't patient enough to listen to what he had to say and follow the the simple steps of things that were already working, I think I could have lost the practice by implementing the first things that I thought I could do as a new chiropractor. So you have to be patient. You have to um, I don't know how to say that. You have to crush a little bit your... Your, your ego? Your ego. Yeah, exactly. As a new uh, person, a new chiropractor or a new whatever business owner that you have, you are, you need to be patient and you need to follow things that are already working. You can't reinvent like how things work. So if this person is successful, you listen to that successful, successful person and then you just slowly follow the steps and then you're just going to... Yeah, I think these were the simple things that I did and it made it successful. I didn't jump into conclusion and things. I listened and I followed the simple rules. So if I understand correctly, when you bought your business from uh, Dr. Richard, you actually kept him as a mentor and you let him mentor you into keeping his practice the way it is. And till today, it helps you actually be profitable and, 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 and be successful because you actually followed his process that he took years to, to actually implement. 30 years. Fully. 30 years. So you can't just come and crush that and then start your own and thing. And it's so easy to do it because you're buying a practice and you're the owner. You want to reinvent it. You want to put your touch into it. And I learned that you do these things slowly, making sure that you get the practice, that you understand how it works because I'm not saying you need to listen to everyone, but if you're, you need to listen to someone that has success and this chiropractor had such a successful practice, I literally told myself, okay, you're going to sit down and you're going to see what he does so you can continue to do what he does. Absolutely. And, so, that's, and that's really a, a good attitude to have, I think, in many fields where 
you have to give credit to people that came before you and actually were successful and they have things to teach us. So that's mm-hmm. awesome. Um, I want to know also a little bit more about the things that make you, um, that, that motivates you. Like um, what type of people, what type of book, uh, who do you follow? Like who, who do you find uh, great as mentors uh, right now in your environment and everyday life? as a as a, a woman in Quebec City, like who do you aspire to be when you look at uh, the other people around you that are successful? It's a very good question. I feel like this has been changing a lot in the past few years, like who I look up to and who I listen to. So I think I have periods of uh, people I, I follow or I consider mentors. Now I'm more in focusing, I'm focused on building businesses and probably having a family soon enough. So what I tend to follow or listen as podcasts or women that are, that has families and that are, have different businesses and are, that are very successful. So just to say, I've been reading books about Rachel Hollis, which is a mother and she has four kids and she has successful businesses. And I've been listening to her podcast And I've been reading her books. She wrote a book, Girl, Stop Apologizing. And it relates to me because she is very, very, very true. She Usually when we talk about, when we read about success, we don't read about the struggles. And with her, you hear the struggles and you see the success. So you see yourself and you're like, oh, it's normal that I struggle with this or struggle with that. It's not always uh, that pink. It's all, there's things that you, you stumble upon. So I love her and I, I've been watching her a lot and she's been very helpful in what I do in general. And there's this other person, her name is Dr. Eva. And I know a lot of people follow her. I, I mean, a lot of people, Haitians, I know follow her because she's Haitian, half Haitian. And her name is Eva Beaulieu and she's a doctor in a medical field. And she is a mother too. And she has different types of businesses. She has makeup business and she wrote a book and she's into fashion and she's just this multiple person and it relates to me too so I've been listening to her a lot and watching her go and that's been pushing me to the top so these are the things but I could go on and on with people that I've been listening to in my network marketing business I've been listening to amazing people that made like great success and that are people with families people with kids and women so it's just uh, being very important to me right now so these are the two people that come to to mind right now in terms of who i listen to and who i follow absolutely and that's great because those are actually people that like you said you relate to Mm -hmm. um there are people that are doing the things that you are doing but at another level because they have a little bit more time more experience and doing so and i'm sure that by following the great uh greatness like you're doing you will get closer to what they're doing because who you look up to who you watch who you follow is actually what's making your brain do the visualization you were talking about it's easier to visualize things that you actually can see and relate to because you can't visualize things you've never seen in your life you know so i think that's awesome that you're doing that and more people should and even me like i've I've been trying this year to have more mentors more people that i follow in fields that i want to get better at and i think that people should sit down and think like okay where do i need to get better at and then who is doing good 
And nowadays with social media, it's awesome. You go on Instagram, Facebook, you actually Definitely. find the best in every field. Right now, mm-hmm. I've been following the best in MMA, you know, Israel Adesanya, a Nigerian that's uh, born in Nigeria that lives in South Africa right now. And I used to do MMA myself. And right now I want to get back in shape and everything. And I'm looking at him and he's younger than me, but he's motivating me at another level. And I'm looking at the world's strongest man right now. And mm-hmm. there's, you know, like people doing like world workers that are crazy. So I think that by doing this, it helps me visualize the potential of human mind and human physical abilities. And I think that everyone should actually follow someone that they respect and that helps them visualize where they can actually be. And it creates that, that, that world where you know it's possible because if you don't, you'll think it's impossible. Exactly. And when I'm talking about the world's strongest men, they just broke the record where 500 kilograms was actually deadlift by, 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 by that person. And he deadlift half a ton. And that was impossible like, a few months ago, no one thought that a human being could deadlift half a ton, 500 kilograms. And he did it. Almost died, wow. though. But uh, <laughs> he's crazy. No, dedication. He said he will die mm-hmm. trying because he will show that the body, the human mind and the body, it's mind over body. Definitely. Mind over body. Mm-hmm. I'm so passionate about this. <laughs> but uh, this is awesome. And we were talking about this, uh, I think, a few a few months ago. You know, the struggle that you were talking about, we talk about success and everything. We're going to talk a little bit about the struggle. I want you to explain how the pandemic affected your business, how COVID and, and how the, uh, the, the, the closing of the businesses affected your business. I know you have a successful business, but 100% sure that the COVID impacted that business, that your clientele didn't go out. And, and, and it, 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 it's hard because I know you have an aging clientele and, and they are affected really by this. And I want to understand how your financial confidence may you, make, made you go through it. Like how confident were you in your financials to get through it? And I want to understand the struggle and how you got through that. Yes, pandemic, not a fun thing for businesses in general, but uh, specifically our type of businesses because we're hands-on and then we need to be there in order for a business to work. And uh, so at first, yeah, very hard, very difficult. I had to close down my clinic for two months and a half. So that means no entry of no income. And I did few uh, emergencies though. So I had to do emergencies, but very few of them because pandemic was crazy. So the criteria to see someone in person was insane. So I only saw a few. So I didn't even call that in income because I, it didn't represent what the amount of people I saw in a, in a week in general. So Yes. So that was difficult. So the stress really started when in the beginning, when I told myself, oh my God, how am I going to make sure that I'm going to do my payments, the, do the things that I need to pay every month for my business. But like I said, I had a huge structure and I'm a person that's, that listens. So I knew that in the beginning I needed to have in my practice at least three months of, um, if anything would happen to me and then my practice would survive if I didn't come, if I didn't work for three months. So I had that as a backup because I had it in the beginning and it helped. So financially, yes, it was a stress, but 
I knew I wasn't going to lose my practice and things were going to go fine because I was going to be able to pay uh, for at least three to four months, right? So these were the things um, that happened. So what I have to say is that I was so positive about when I was going to get back that people would want to see a chiropractor. People would want to to uh, come visit because after two months and a half, if you have back pain or neck pain, or if you're a regular chiropractor, chiropractic um, patient, you're going to feel the, the, the need. So I was confident that when I was going to come back, I was going to have the flow that I needed to get back in my feet. And that's what happened. So after two months and a half, when I got back, my schedule was crazy. Yes, with COVID, we had to have different structures. So I gave more hours and I worked more with my assistant in order to have everyone. So that helped a lot in terms of uh, financial. But besides that, that's when I started, that's when I started to understand the importance of having different source of income. So I was approached by the network marketing and I remember I loved the products and I loved the, the people that were the person that was that approached me and the person, the people that I knew in her environment that was doing it. I wasn't ever against it. I always, I always had an open mind as a person. So when she approached me, I think it was a good time. It was a time of crisis and I saw opportunity. So I just went on and I told her, perfect, I'm going to go in it. So yes, I started because of the products and things like that, but with pandemic, it just did a, uh, a thing where I told myself, yeah, why not? I have time. Let me just invest that time into having another business. So that's how network marketing got into my, to my life. And it bought another source of income and that's not to, to ignore. So that's one thing. And that's how, uh, becoming a, member of how do you say that in english it's called uh, executive committee of the nonprofit organization that's how i got into it too so i did so many things that i liked so many things that i loved during that time that it helped a lot with the whole pandemic uh, not working and not giving dance classes and things like that so it opened a door so i I think the pandemic went well overall, if I think about it. So that's, I hope it answers all the questions that you asked. No, it's or perfect. I, it's perfect because some points. no, yeah. uh, actually the financial confidence that we were talking about, you answered it quite perfect. really, frankly, like awesome because I want to say a word that Bertrand tells me. Uh, Bertrand is my brother and we did uh, in, uh, a podcast my um, on season one, episode two. And he actually tells me sometimes that when everything is great, that's when you need to prepare for the worst times. Mm -hmm. So he always tells me that. And right now, what you just said, it explains the, the whole concept of you never know when things are going bad. You know, a recession, you don't know when it's coming. A pandemic, you don't know when it's coming. A big event, you know, like floods or anything that can happen. So he tells me when everything is going well, when money is flowing, when you have income, you don't spend it all and then blindly indulge in life and be happy. And he tells me always have a little backpack, like a safety pack, like something that can help you when it's bad. Because he tells me 
when it's bad and that's when you try to scrub like scrunch for things it's too late because mm-hmm. everyone's fighting for resources so when everything is great prepare for worse times so when you had your three months four months worth of expenses already saved for your business you didn't know it was going to happen you always wow. just made that money available for things like that and then boom it happens and then it saves your business actually literally saves your business so everyone out there that saved their business by putting money aside prepared for the worst times when everything was great so that's financial confidence that's a way of seeing the future and knowing that when money's coming in take some of it and put it out because Definitely. absolutely no, no. it's always up and down and when the down comes you need to be prepared mm-hmm. So that's that's crazy. Um, another thing that I want to talk, another struggle. You know, we're we're in the struggle world right mm-hmm. now. I want to talk about you getting married during the pandemic. I know that you would would have liked to have you know more people present at your wedding, but unfortunately, because of the restrictions, you only had ten people um, at your wedding. And I know for our culture and uh, like the way we see life, you know, we, you wanted to share that moment with as many people as you want, as you needed and as you, you'd like. Uh, but the, unfortunately, the pandemic didn't let you do that. So I want to understand how did you get through that? How did you get to see it in a positive light? And how did you make it as a memorable day that it should have been in the middle of the pandemic? Mm, very, yeah, that was a very good struggle, that pandemic. Uh, made uh, yeah so I had planned a 200 around 200 people wedding and I had to have a 10 person a 10 people wedding it was a very 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 difficult uh, decision it was a mix of emotions up and down I didn't know it went from 200 to 50 to 10 so it just kind of like was a huge struggle but what kept us strong i guess was the fact that he and i wanted to get married either way right mm-hmm. so i think he would say it was more me but whatever we decided that we were going to get married anyways regardless of how covid was going to make us uh, let us have uh, have that wedding Mm -hmm. so when I was doing the 50 people wedding I considered having like my close friends my close family was just going to be a small wedding it was going to be fine but the borders didn't open I thought the borders would open to the because being from Haiti and having a lot of people outside my best friends are not here in Canada my my dad is not here in Canada so all these people that are non-Canadians couldn't get into the country. So that was one of the hardest thing or the hardest decision to get married without these people. So I had to get down into 10 people and that's when I decided to have the wedding that way. So how did we make it positive? I tried to focus on the fact that we were getting married and we were doing it in front of the people that were there that loved us. So the 10 people that were there were close friends, uh, close family members. So mom, dad, brothers, and pretty much it. I had my godfather there, but I also took the time to do uh, a zoom 
with the people that couldn't be there, such as my dad, my best friends, and you that couldn't be there because, uh, Kasson, you were waiting for your second daughter. And Kasson was giving birth. So I took the time to share these moments via Zoom on not the same, but it brought a lot of like positive or a lot of happiness into that day. So this was how I coped with it. And weirdly, the whole thing happened and it was the best day ever. So you expect it to be a day that where you're going to be sad about not having everyone, but it ended up being a really beautiful day, a really full of emotion, positive emotion day. So it was all worth it at the end just yep. to have that small aspect. And then it was just great. And I thought actually, it was going to be more difficult, but it was really, really great. I had a, an amazing day. That day. Actually, I, I can actually vouch for that because I've seen the, the pictures, the videos, like you looked really happy. Claude mm -hmm. really looked happy. Uh, the scenery was very, very nice doing it um, right there in Quebec with all the colors, the red, the yellow, the, the, the purple of the trees. Mm -hmm. And you were out there and the forest, it was really excellent. And uh, that was awesome. And mm -hmm. I'm sure because you are close to each other, you love each other, it made you stronger to get through that. So why I asked that question is because of our topic is all about the positiveness, uh, the, the positive that you put oh, in yes. your life, even in the worst of times, if you can transform it into, into a positive it makes you a superhuman. It makes you better. It makes you successful. It makes you get, go through life um, like with a shield. You know what I mean? Like instead of seeing the bad things and, 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 and talking about, oh, I should have had this. I should have had that. Why did this happen to me? No, you go through it. Life is a bunch of events and then you are defined by how you react and, and, uh, to your events, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think you reacted well seeing the situation. You yeah. took charge you did it and then you got the happiest day of your life despite everything that was going around and mm -hmm. i think that's that's a tool that's a power that people need to have doing positive thinking in order to have positive outcomes so i want you to explain a little bit how do you keep so positive with everything you do in life? Like you do a lot, like, and, and there are things that are quite difficult, you know, being a dance teacher, you were part of a dance, um, like a group where you perform like a troupe, sorry. Um, you actually have like a business and now you're doing network marketing. You are part of the executive board of a nonprofit. Like how do you, not get scared or not get like down by all of that responsibility? How do you keep positive and, and feel that you are able to do all that? Like what's the, the key to your positiveness? I think it's always thinking about why you're doing it. So finding your why and then putting it all the way there. So always thinking of the mean, the reason why you're doing it. So that keeps you going, that keeps you positive. And I work on it so much daily by doing my routine. So like I said, I do affirmations and I do visualization. So I keep myself positive like all the time in terms of what I'm doing. So whenever there's an event that's, that's 
negative or I have a struggle, I have a thing, I keep telling myself I'm able to, I can. So I always try to put it in a positive uh, aspect and try. And I think I, I read it in many books that they say that whenever you have a struggle or whenever you have something hard, that's when you make the best out of it. It's weird, but I feel it uh, all the time. For example, in practice, if it's, I don't know, I have less patience at a point and I feel like my, my, my quota is going down and I always sit down to my assistant and I, and I tell her, how can we make it better? And we always come up with ideas that's amazing. So that's one of the reasons why I'm doing the, the network um, breakfasts that I'm doing right now. It's helping my practice so much and it's huge. But if I didn't have any struggle or a moment where it was more difficult, I wouldn't have not, not think about doing something like that, right? So always finding solutions and trying to make it positive. So I guess that's how I go. And I always try to visualize and see my end. Why am I doing it? What do I want to do? So that I always see. keeps me going in terms of positiveness. I see. So actually, positiveness is not just thinking in a positive way and being happy. It's actually finding solution to problems instead of just looking at the problem as an obstacle. So from what, I've, from what I hear is, the power of positiveness is knowing that there's a solution to every problem and then finding a way to fix that problem with solutions that you brain brain a storm and then you actually find solutions. So mm -hmm. I think that's, that's really important right there. Positive thinking is knowing that when there is a problem, there's a solution and then you have the tools to go and find the solution either by doing it yourself by brainstorming either by doing it with other people around you the more brains the better and then mm -hmm. you find solutions so that's a great mindset because it makes you be proactive instead of being reactive so you actually know that everything in life that will come through your way you'll be able to analyze it find a solution and pass through it and i think that helps with positiveness because you don't see life as a calamity, as things happening to you. You see life as an opportunity for you to find solutions and Definitely. actually go through it and experience and makes you, it makes you better with time. Mm -hmm. And then it gives you skills. So this is really positive in that way. And I think that we should think a little bit more like that where things happen and we find solutions always. Mm -hmm. And people that do that always get success. And that's weird Definitely. because people that always ask themselves, why is this happening to me? And they only see the negative. They actually are not getting the success they should have. But the people that you see them smile in the face of adversity, because they know the struggle is the journey and the process is actually finding the solution. They're happy because it's part of life and they accept it. Acceptance mm -hmm. of what's happening. So that's, that's really enlightening. Thank you. Yes. So... I want you to explain a little bit. I know we talked about it at the beginning of our interview, a little bit about your fitness training, about how you keep your body, physical body uh, at peak performance with your nutrition and how do you go about putting that in your schedule that's already busy? How do you keep fit? So I tend to have different programs. I try to challenge myself all the time and having different workout programs and it's not always working, right? I'm not going to be the, I'm not going to say I'm the best at keeping a routine in terms of working out, but 
I tend to, uh, to always put at least a 15 minutes of workout in my day. It's part of my routine in general. So I'm so used to it. So giving that 15 minutes is good. So sometimes I, I don't do this and I'm into a program where I do like, like lately I've been running. I started running because of COVID and I couldn't go into my dance classes and things like that. So I started running. So that was a period of things that I did, a period where I ran. Now it's not as beautiful outside and it's raining. So now I'm like, what can I do that's different from what I was doing? So now I have a new program that I'm doing as a workout. And it's a three-month program. It's a home workout program. It's 30 minutes. So I've been doing this, right? So I always try to challenge myself and trying to do something. So that's one. Second, I work physically. And I want to be a chiropractor that works a long time. And I know that what I do is, I mean, it can be hard on your body. So I make sure that I get, uh, I get adjusted as a chiropractor. Like, so I get adjusted, I get my adjustment and I seek for mass massage. What do you say that? I think it's message therapy. Yeah. So I seek to that. I do that at least once a month. And there's a specific training that I've been doing with, uh, a muscle that's called kin stretch and it's really good for your body. And I've been doing this with this guy for over, I don't know, a year now, I guess, or a couple of months. And I've been very strict about not missing out that workout because it's really good for your body and it's really good with your articulation. And I want to keep working a long time. So I need to make sure that I have that, uh, that uh, structure for myself. So that's how I do. And in terms of eating well, I'm always trying to read books and trying to understand how I, th I think nutrition is the thing that's a lot of controversy and a lot of things that are people are trying to, 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 to implement different types of regimen. But I try to understand what I need and what are the foods that are going to give me the food that are going to give me energy instead of the food that are going to kill my energy. So I try to focus on that and I try to eat better so I can be more proactive uh, doing my day. And my network marketing business focuses on that a lot. So I get to use a lot of their products in terms of uh, nutrition. So that's great too, in terms of what I've been doing for my health. That's awesome. And um, so just to understand, you eat anything you're not like a vegetarian or like you you actually find products that are more energy builders than energy takers especially with the digestive system mm -hmm. and digestion but just for people to understand you, yes. you are not so a vegetarian. i don't have a specific uh regimen i'm not uh i can't say that i'm vegan or vegetarian or anything like that but i tend to prefer and using more of these um this type of nutrition. So I eat less and less meat in general. And if I do, I more, I, I don't eat red meat a lot either. So I could, I eat it sometimes, but it's not most in my week. If you look at my week, it's not the, the regimen that I have mostly. So that has changed in terms of that. And sometimes I do something called the 30 days to healthy living. It's a challenge where you really do a sort of a vegan detox where you eat no meat, you don't, you have no caffeine, no meat, uh, no uh, gluten, no milk, anything that's dairy. 
So all of these things. So I try to eliminate all these stressors for your body. And I do a 30 days of detox. So I've done that three times in the past year. And I'm going to keep doing it once in a while just to keep my body in its best Perfect. shape, I guess. And I see the whole difference. When I do it, I, I wish I had the, the strength to do it all the time. Because when you go to restaurants, you go to friends' house and things like that, you end up like having alcohol or eating because there's no alcohol under 30 days. But all of these things, but when I do it, my energy is spikes. The way I do things is just sharper and it's just amazing. And then you, you feel the difference. So yes, what you eat reflects on your outside, definitely. Absolutely. Thank you. And it's exactly what I wanted to understand. Mm -hmm. um, because myself, I'm more of a pescatarian. So I eat seafood. Um, mm -hmm. I, uh, it's been three years, I do not eat meat anymore. I, I still eat a little dairy, but only a, a cheese, no, no milk. Um, and I actually um, have uh, intermittent fasting where I do not eat uh, at the beginning of the day until I do my workout and I eat after 12 and then I eat, uh, I stop eating around 8 p.m. Uh, and then I do that cycle. So I've been doing that for about a year, intermittent fasting. So it's a, a few little things. Our diet are different. Uh, uh, diets are different, but we think uh, in the same way where what you eat uh, actually creates your energy and your energy level is really uh, connected and uh, correlated with what, what you actually ingest. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's uh, awesome that we can share that and people can actually find what works for them because everyone has a different metabolism, but people need to find what makes them have energy and what makes them not have energy. So they have to try and trial and error, you know, try different, different types of meals, different types of diet, and then they'll find the actual diet that works for them. So um, we were talking about the physical body. Now we're going to talk about the mind. So I want to know what, what do you think, um, what's your take on spirituality and beliefs? What, what's your take on the mind and what we perceive as what it is around us, what's bigger than us, just as, and I'm choosing those words carefully where I say spirituality and beliefs and not religion. I just want to understand what is the importance of spirituality, beliefs, in your everyday life that permits you to actually perform at that level? I feel like it's important for someone to have a certain belief, for someone to have a certain spirituality. I have it. I use it because there's so many things that we don't understand that we can't explain in the world. So we need to believe that there's something bigger than us and something that's out there. So yes, I do this. Yes, we're not talking about religion, but I tend to feel that I'm a religious person, that I believe that there's someone bigger than me. And then I pray to that and I thank god for whatever i have in general so that's it but i've been doing a lot of meditation too and that's i feel that's a way to be spiritual and thinking and and connecting to the whole universe i believe in these little things that you just when you put it out in the universe and then you get it back so it's just all these things that i've been uh i guess developing in the last few years things that I didn't do before, but that I do now. And I do it so much that I 
that I use it in my everyday practice. So in the morning when I walk in, I tell my assistant, did you visualize, did you put it in the universe? What do you want? And then she's like, five new patients. And then she writes it down and then she puts it and then you see five patients happen and we laugh about it and things like that. So I believe that what you put out in the universe and if you take the time to embrace it, either when you're doing a meditation or when you're thinking or when you're just putting it out there, it comes. So I think it's important. I think people need to believe in something. People need to uh, give themselves to something bigger than them. And it's just going to make things better. I feel it's just my point of view on that. Absolutely. And I've talked to a coworker of mine. Um, he didn't understand the concept and I was trying to explain. And what I use as an analogy, I'm like, okay, so if you believe in nothing but yourself, so every burden of life is upon your, your own shoulders mm-hmm. and then you crush under the pressure of, of your life happening. You know, the, the more experience, the more time, the older you get, the more more things you put on the, on your shoulders and it's crushing you and crushing you. And I explained to him that in our culture, I know that sometimes it's counterintuitive, but we take some of that burden and then we put it on yeah. God or we put it under uh, on something bigger than us. And then we actually say, okay, this is not in my power. I leave it to something else that has more power. And then it just makes you feel lighter. So I just want him to understand that, it is powerful to just take your weight and put it somewhere else sometimes just to feel more uh, free and that you can breathe easier because at the end of the day, we're searching for happiness. At the end of the day, we're seeking for, for bliss, blissfulness. So why would you keep everything down on you? Because you, you believe that you are the only responsible for everything around you and in your life. And, and I'm not saying that we're not responsible. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that sometimes in order to feel a little lighter on your feet, it's easier to take some, you know, and then you put it on something bigger than yourself and then you feel better. So, you know, we can control what we can control and then we have to be able to see what is not in our control and then leaving it as is to somebody else's. And when I mean somebody else's, something else bigger, bigger yeah, outside definitely. of our control. Or things that we can't explain or things that we don't understand. There's so many things that we cannot explain yep. or understand. So we just leave it at the bigger person or the person that's out there or the thing that's out there. Absolutely. Because if you don't do that, then you try to find actual answers mm-hmm. by yourself. Mm-hmm it kills the soul. And that's why we see many people that are less happy and less happy with time because there's many questions that are not answered and they're trying to answer it by themselves. And it's not helping them be as uh, a thriving that, as they should be. So thank you for, for, for sharing that with us, Corinne. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's awesome. So where do you see yourself in five to 10 years like professionally, um, in terms of, of, of business, in terms of, of you, um, like you said, you have mentors that you're following. Like, what do you see yourself in five, 10 years? So I see myself in the next five years, hopefully with a family, like my different mentors that I <laughs> shared, like having kids, definitely. And be successful in my practice that I think I'm already, but having other people working with me, I'm already working on that plan and having a second clinic. So being owner of two clinics is one of my ultimate things that I'm seeing in five years. 
I'm going to have, and I want to be a vice president in my network marketing business. I'm already on the road. So I just want to be successful in anything that I'm doing right now. So I want to be successful in my practice and duplicate what I'm already doing that I feel is successful. And uh, in my network marketing, I want to help more people get into that business and help others flourish. So then become a vice president and I guess uh, influence others. And I want to be a big impact in my community. I want people to know me, to hear about me, about what I do for the community in general. So that's absolutely, what I absolutely. And I and I think that with your your journey and with what you're gonna achieve and what you have, have achieved so far, you are a mentor for other people. And 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 I think that you're already making an impact with people around you, from your team, people that are getting to know you. And I think that it is commendable that you want to continue doing that because we have to show that there is success, there is possibilities, there is actually greatness and immigrants coming from another home, coming to that new home, uh, our second home, and where we are thriving and actually integrating in that new community where we're showing that we are part of the community, we have something to bring to the table. And I talked to Charles about this in my uh, uh, episode one, uh, episode three, sorry, season one, uh, mm-hmm. where we, we, we talk about making an impact and integrating new groups where we show that you know, we are part of the team. We're here to to actually uh, su- uh, thrive and and have success and and share that success with with uh, our surroundings. So I want people to understand that they can actually find mentors and people that they can look up to. The same way you're looking up to 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 those people that you talked about. I hope that people can actually look at you and look up to you, the next generation. You know, um, and that's gonna bring me to the the question where if you had a chance to get in a time machine, go back in time and talk to yourself when you were 20 years old. So you, what would you tell yourself at 20 years old, uh, knowing what you know now with all the experience you have, what would you tell yourself at 20 years old um, in order to, to maybe have an edge on the future? Good question. Uh, I thought, uh, I mean, so many things, but if I would have to narrow it down, I would say, read, read, read. I was not a 20-year-old that read. I only read school books or what I had to do in terms of studies. I didn't search for things that I wanted. I didn't have any interest specific in terms of dreams and things. And I think with reading, it opens that door. Specifically, if you're doing personal growth, it's just amazing. If I was reading the books that I'm reading now in my 20s and my early 20s, I would have been, I think, even more successful than I am today. And the second thing that I would tell my 20-year-old self is get out of your comfort zone. I was such a person that stayed in my comfort zone, thought that life went on when you were in your comfort zone. And now that I'm getting out of that comfort zone, I understand that you really start living when you get out of your comfort zone. It gives you challenges. It makes you proud of yourself and it gives you wings, I guess. So if I could tell my 20-year-old self, I would definitely say get out of your comfort zone. Absolutely. Thank you, really. Thank you very much, uh, Colleen, for sharing with us. So today what we talked about was the actual 
positive thinking in order to achieve positive outcomes. A great topic where we actually talked about um, what we need to do in order to find solutions to problems around us, having that great positive mindset where we know that it's going to be okay as long as we find solutions by ourselves or as a group. Um, we talked about books, great books to read in order to actually have that mindset where you know other people went through uh, things before you, other people were successful and you can actually follow their path and have that humility to follow the path of successful people in order to uh, get to that level and then slowly have patience where you can implement your own uh, ideas and, and squish your ego a little bit, just enough to learn from others. And then once you have that knowledge, when you become experimented, then you can add your own, your own touch to, uh, to, to your journey, to, to your businesses and success. And we talked about efficiency uh, with time management. We talked about um, having time and creating time and making more out of less time, being more efficient and using our time. We also talked about um, the struggles uh, that makes us stronger, the journey, the process. And again, we talked about the positive outcomes even out of COVID and, and everything that happened and in your everyday life. It's always how you see it, how you turn lemons into lemonade. And I'm really happy, uh, Colleen, that you shared all of this with us. So today we talked about this and uh, thank you a lot, uh, Colleen, for sharing it. Thank you, Alexander. It was really fun. I was happy to be part of that podcast. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. Bye.